0: Like treason news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. Hello, it's your host, Alison Kilkenny. And I am freshly back. Can you say that? Freshly back from a trip to the Brooklyn Museum riding pretty high. I was at the Christian Dior. Exhibit, which was beautiful. If you live in Brooklyn, you should definitely, definitely go check it out. The staging is so beautiful that I was literally texting with a friend of mine. Why am I being mysterious? I was texting Meredith, frequent co host of this show. And I was like, Is it weird that I almost cried when I was in the Dior exhibit? And she very generously said, No. Um, And I said, you're you're very kind. I think I'm entering a new stage in mental illness, but thank you, very generous of you as a friend. But I truly believe the reason I got very emotional was the staging is so beautiful. If you've been to the exhibit, you know what I'm talking about. There's a room, a vault, if you will, um, called something the garden, something, 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 And uh, it's just so beautiful that it really, it made me emotional. So I'm going to be honest with you, the whole time I wanted to touch those dresses and I didn't. And not one person there said they were proud of me. And I know people could read it on my face that I wanted to touch them more badly than I've ever wanted anything in my life. But No one applauded me for my restraint, which is fine, I guess. I don't like this nonsense about you should just do that because you're an adult. I really had to show a tremendous amount of restraint. And I think I should have been congratulated. You know? You know how you get a sticker after you vote? I feel like you should get a sticker after the Dior exhibit that says, I didn't touch one dress. And that's pretty cool. Good for me. I'm still thinking about the exhibit. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Light Trees and News. Here's how the show works. We talk a lot about pop culture. Sometimes I have a host, a co-host. Sometimes I don't. Today I'm flying solo because I just have so much to do today. Didn't really make sense to schedule anybody. I'm going to rant at you at length about some bad news, uh, and then some good news, but before either of those, this is the pop culture section, sometimes it runs long because the world is shit, and I don't like talking about the news sometimes. There's plenty of podcasts you can go listen to, endlessly bad news uh, over there, no shade, that's just what they do. If that's your cup of tea, go find those podcasts. Uh, for my mental health and I've heard in feedback from from you all for your mental health as well we talk about all kinds of fun stuff before we dive into the shit of it all but we will get to the shit of it all don't worry so I have some recommendations oh actually before I get to my recommendations I have to read this John I'm so sorry if you've already taken your trip to New York City, and this advice is coming late. But I think you said you your upcoming trip to New York was around Thanksgiving, so I'm hoping I'm getting this to you in time. First of all, John, let me just read what John sent to my Patreon again. If you are a supporter of mine over at Patreon.com/slash Allison Kilkenny, it's just my name. uh, You get to send questions, comments. Recommendations to the show, and you get the VIP treatment. I read those first because you support the show, which is very cool. So, John writes, Hey Allison, so for my upcoming trip to attend, and I guess I could just see what an anime NYC was. I like the mystery of it though. I found out my hometown Houston Rockets will be the visiting team at Madison Square Garden for the New York Knicks home game that Saturday. I secured a nosebleed seat in MSG, so I can say I've been at least once in my life. My question is, how foolish is it for me to wear a Houston Rockets t-shirt and matching face mask to the game? Just how fanatical are New York Knicks fans? The Rockets are rebuilding post-Harden, and I don't think we'll actually win, but I feel the desire to rep my team when they're on the court. Anyway, MSG is just a few blocks from my hotel down 8th Avenue, so looking forward to it. I'll probably keep my coat zipped up, good and tight, getting to and from there, (laughs) though debating also wearing a Rockets ball cap, but maybe that's two extra thoughts. Uh, John added that last part because he originally wrote in asking what he should wear to New York City in November, which is the first bit of advice I gave him. So, John, I think it's very funny you wrote me for sports advice because I was like, what is happening? Not my forte. However, I got this message when I was at a party with some friends of mine who I know are sports addicts. And I was like, aha, come here. This is the question I got. Now, at first, John, when I told them you were visiting from out of town and you were thinking of wearing your home team's jersey, they were a little like, "Uh uh-oh, he shouldn't do that. But then I said uh, you were thinking of wearing the Houston Rockets Jersey, and they laughed, and they laughed, and they laughed, and they said it's okay if he does that because we don't. The New York Knicks don't have a rivalry with the Houston Rockets, which I believe John was a bit of shade. But they said that you'd probably be fine uh, as long as you're not obnoxious about it, and you know you're just repping your team. New York's Knicks uh, will be fine about it. Now, if if your team was actually a rival of the New York Knicks, maybe not the best idea. But uh, I got the impression that New York Knicks fans would think you're adorable. So (laughs) feel free to wear it, um, is, is the advice I was given by people who actually know sports, but if I'm wrong, hashtag light treason pod, let me know. I don't fucking know. I don't, you know, I, I don't have anything against sports or people who follow sports. I'm not one of those liberals who's like, are you enjoying your sport ball? Like, you know, kill me. Um, I just don't personally have knowledge about that. So I outsourced it, John, but I outsourced it to good people. So let's get to recommendations. I have a, a a weird one up top just because it was brought to my attention recently. And it was a little, you know, out of step with what I normally recommend on the show. And I won't tell you too much about it because I don't want to give it away uh, what the twist is, but, On Vimeo, there's a short called Rachel by the amazing John Early. If you're a comedy fan, you know John Early from a million different funny things. But this is a, it's a comedy short, but it's also, I would say, a little bit of a horror short, too. And it's great. It's 10 minutes. If you're looking for something quick to watch, that's Rachel. If you just Google Rachel John Early, it'll come up. Um, So I recommend that. Uh, I just saw that recently, so that was very fresh on my mind. Let's talk music recs, shall we? Cause I don't really in the recommend recommendation uh zone, if you will, I'm aware we're a little light on the listening recommendations and the reading recommendations. That's not because I'm anti music or books. <laughs> Imagine if that was my stance on the show. If there's one thing this show is about. We hate books and music. You know, two of the things that make life worth living. It's just because, like, for a book recommendation, I I tend to read, like, over the course of, let's say, a month a single book. And I don't know. It's just not like, I guess there's not a sense of urgency to it or I forget about recommending the book. So I recently listened to two new albums and I was like, I have to talk about this on the show. We have to get to it. So. 30 Adele's new album is out my god I mean I wish I had had access to a bunker so I could have gone there and just like scream wailed for a while in in private privacy and also um you know just giving me time to process, but it's very good. It's very sad, but that's Adele. That's her brand. You know, you're not going to listen to Adele thinking you're going to come out feeling great afterwards. (laughs) And then also uh, Red, Taylor Swift's much anticipated full cut album out, The only bad thing about this is I'm like, I wonder if this woman has realized that she's going to have to do 10-minute-long versions of some of these songs when she's touring live. She's fine, though. She seems like she has stamina. Um, But Red is great. I did want to talk a little bit about Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal. Here's the thing. I'm not here with my pitchfork saying we should cancel anybody. Nothing like that. But I would say... To Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal, perhaps we shouldn't date someone in their early 20s and then turn around and say, we can't see each other anymore because you're too young. And also, in doing a press tour with Tom Holland, calling Tom Holland a kid, when you date people his age who happen to be women, that feels weird, right? So, I like sort of subtweeted about this, where I was like, "The step before cancellation is me being very disappointed in you." That's the stage I'm at right now with Jake Hall, where I'm like, "You kind of suck, dude." And I'm not saying that he should be canceled or anything like that. I'm just saying you kind of suck. And I'm glad Taylor like got something out of it, but <laughs> like I sh- I was reading this interview where she was saying she. Some of her exes have reacted in a very shitty way to her, including them in her music, her lyrics, and then she sort of offered Jake as an example of someone who didn't react in a shitty way. But even his response was so weird, where he like apparently contacted her and said, "It was really fun to listen to that. It was like um, a trip down memory lane. It was like looking at a scrapbook." And it's like, did you listen? to the song where she talks about you because you don't seem like a great guy and then to be like that was really fun I'm like are you a sociopath <laughs> like did you miss the message or are you like willfully misinterpreting it so you don't seem like a bad guy I don't know I don't know what the case is but um, I'll just say like if you're a grown man don't date somebody in their early 20s it's weird Um, and there's probably weird power dynamic stuff going on and Yeah, it's just icky. Again, not saying anybody should be canceled or anything like that. But it's weird to date somebody in their early 20s and then say you're too young. Because it's like, yeah, no shit. That's why you shouldn't have dated them. It was weird you did that. That's weird behavior. That says that you're a weird man. Do you know that? Anyway, uh, also in recommendations... Power of the dog. Jane Campion's new film is out. If you are not familiar with the great Jane Campion, I'll just summarize her work by saying Jane, don't miss. She's never made a bad film. I mean, maybe that's not true. I'm not completely familiar with her filmography, but I've never seen a bad Jane Campion film. She's a genius. Benedict Cumberbatch, choose the fucking scenery in the best possible way. I really, really don't want to tell you all about the plot, because I very much was avoiding seeing trailers, reading reviews. I really, really wanted to go into Power of the Dog blind, and I'm glad I did that. So I'll say, don't read anything about it. Go in and see it, and then tweet me, and um, we'll have a conversation about the film, because how how I put it to a friend of mine was... I was watching the film and I was like, I don't think I like this. And then something happens and I was like, I get it. I love it. And so if you've seen it, tweet me and tell me what you think the moment was where I was like, oh, I get it. I understand what this movie is doing. Um, Because, yeah, at first it's (laughs) it's a lot to process. You know, I don't know if I necessarily buy Benedict Cumberbatch as like the rough and tumble cowboy type. But that character he's playing is more than that. And that becomes clear as the, as the film progresses. Um, but yeah, it, it, at first I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know if this is uh, going to work. And then it totally does. And that's all I'll say about it. I'll just say also that there's some amazing performances in the film. Um, obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch, also Jesse Plemons, uh, Kirsten Dunst. I am always happy to see them in any film. They're great in this. It's also adorable that they got to work together. They're one of my favorite in real life couples. I stand them very hard and it's just nice to see them developing these like really rich film careers. Cause I think they're two of the smartest, most interesting actors working right now. So I'm just happy that they're in a dope film. Um, But yeah, I am very curious how people are going to receive this film. It seems to be overwhelmingly positive so far, but there's been a few films this season where I've had hot take reviews that um, have been very divisive, like uh, Spencer, very divisive. You either like it or you hate it. Um, I I didn't like Last Night in Soho. Most critics loved it or liked it. Um, so yeah, I feel like this is the year of my hot takes. So I liked power of the dog, but more than ever, I'm like, I don't know if that means you'll like power of the dog, but I liked it. So also because we're still kind of in like pandemic land, not kind of, we are in pandemic land. I've been using this time where normally I would be like, at an office working I've been work from home so I have a lot of time to watch shit so I was like I'm gonna catch up on all the things that like uh Usually male critics have been banging the drum about that. I've just been like, oh, like I'll watch it eventually. But you guys are so into it. It's sort of putting me off a little bit. So obviously 2020 pandemic land. I used to binge The Sopranos in its entirety. Sopranos is great. I knew it would be great, but it was just one of those shows where I was like, I'll watch it eventually, but I'm not getting swept up in this whole craze at the moment. So there were two shows that sort of fell in that lane, uh, Yellowstone and Narcos. Every male critic on the planet loves Yellowstone and Narcos. And after watching them both, I'll say I fully understand why. Uh, they, all, they both kind of fulfill a weird male fantasy. Cis, I should say cis male fantasy. Be very specific with my language when I say male. Um, And I I don't necessarily mean that in a derogatory way. It's just that watching them, I was like, ah, yes, I get it. I get why um, cis, hetero, usually white uh, male critics love these shows. Uh, They're both excellent. Both highly recommend uh, both of them. Yellowstone is really, really interesting because... It's getting phenomenal ratings. Like I'm talking walking dead height of popularity numbers, actually more than walking dead height of popularity numbers. And it's on Paramount Plus. What? Excuse me? And to take it even a step further, you can't even just watch it on the Paramount Plus app. There's like an extra step. I still don't fully understand how people are watching this show, and it's getting numbers like that. I'm like, that is extraordinary. Um, but yet, yeah, Yellowstone phenomenal show. Um, Kevin Costner is a a, a a ranch owner who's a who's a dad. Do you need any more information than that? No, you don't. He, he's doing his Kevin Costner thing, which is pure magic. He made me cry in the pilot. I was like, this man's a witch. How did he do that? I don't even care about this character yet. And I'm crying. Um, He's also like a wealthy uh, uh, white landowner. So I feel like they do explore that (laughs) as the show goes along. Like a little bit of the Walter White treatment. Like this guy isn't a good protagonist. Like it's okay if you sympathize with him occasionally, but he's a bad man. Narcos, also similar um, where, you know, it's, Seasons one and two are narrated by a white DEA agent who I never actually like. I never really warmed up to that character. Season three, it's worth it because season three is all Pablo Pascal and uh, Agent Pena. And he's so fucking good. Very complicated character. Uh, It's pretty clear immediately that, you know, the DEA is waging an unwinnable war and also like very stupid, wasteful war. It's a little unclear, like how season one feels about the war on drugs because, uh, Pablo Escobar is the the main antagonist and the show's really in love with exploring Pablo Escobar and like, you know, the, the cartels and how much money they were making. And there's just like a lot of like spewing of facts, Sort of like, you know, um, we're just reading a history of the Narco Wars for the first season. But then the story gets really good. And I do feel like the the series ultimately ends on a note that's like, what the fuck was that all for? <laughs> like, how many lives were lost? How much money was wasted? And it's a bigger thing than ever. People are never going to stop doing drugs. Why did we do that for so many decades? And it, it sucks because, like, we see this character who's devoted his entire life to uh, trying to stop this thing that is unstoppable. And the, the ultimate, like, almost Shakespearean tragedy of that is really beautiful uh, in a terrible sense, but, like, uh, beautifully exec- executed and well done. So if you have any, hit- any interest, excuse me, in the narco wars, uh, I, I would highly recommend that. Paul Pascal, man. Whew. First of all not too hard on the eyes, if you know what I'm saying, but also what a charming man. Anytime he's on screen, I'm just like, keep talking. I love this. And as I said, season three is great because it's his show. He, uh, we lose the white DEA agent and it's like, bye. We never miss him for a second. And then it's Pablo's show. And it's like, this is so great. Why wasn't it this the whole time? So, okay. Where am I at? All right. This is what happens when I don't have a co-host. I have to like, Vamp on the fly, and usually it's just me uh, stuttering through what I want to talk about next. Let's talk about the Spider-Man trailer, huh? Did you guys watch it? Thoughts hashtag trees and Pod. Nothing really revealed in it. I don't know what people were expecting. Like, sort of by now, not sort of. It is like the worst kept secret in Hollywood that all three Spider-Men are going to be <laughs> in this movie and the secret's been out for a million years you know it's trended on twitter a million times and they still didn't show the three Spider-Man in the trailer which i understand and i thought it was weird that people were like come on why didn't you sh-? it's like they literally have one cat in the bag and it's that all three Spider-Men are in this film, and they're not going to give that away. That's going to be like a huge moment in the film. <sighs> I was somewhat disappointed because we've come so far with this particular iteration of Spider-Man and not thrown Mary Jane off a fucking bridge. And guess what happens in this trailer? Mary Jane gets thrown off a fucking bridge. <laughs> there goes Zendaya. No. No. And that sucked because I was like, man, I really like Zendaya's MJ. I think she's cool. I think she's, like, very different than the previous MJs we've gotten. I've always really liked that she knew right away Peter was Spider-Man so we don't have to do all that stupid shit where it's like, is this the dumbest woman alive? Like, she can't figure this out. MJ knew right away. She's supportive. She's cool. You know, like, they got a, a sweet relationship. I really like Tom Holland and Zendaya together. They're adorable. Um, And then she gets thrown off a fucking bridge, which felt like, I don't know, uh, shockingly lazy for a franchise that has up until this point been really smart about how they approach Spider-Man. Like we don't see Uncle Ben die. We don't have to do the fucking fucking origin story we've seen a million times again because everybody knows everybody knows what's up. We don't need to see Peter get bitten by the fucking spider. We know the origin story. We don't need to see Uncle Ben get shot, okay? We understand he's our friendly, local neighborhood Spider-Man. We don't need the the whole bells and whistle again. And then they do something like this, which is like so hacky and so cliche. Now, having said that, I don't know why MJ gets thrown off a bridge. Maybe there's like a really compelling reason. Maybe it won't seem really hacky. Uh, we'll have to see wait and see, right? But I'm still excited about it. I have a really bad feeling. I don't know. A lot of people seem to think that, well, here, I'll say this. I think that Tom Holland would certainly do another Spider-Man film if he was offered enough money by Marvel. Because let's remember, Robert Downey Jr. said that he was done after Iron Man 3, and then Marvel dropped a plane full of cash on his house, and he was like, I'm going to come back as long as you need me, because <laughs> that's so much money. So I'm sure this is part of negotiations and you know tactics where Tom Holland's like, I'm done after this film. But... And then I hear reports that Zendaya was crying on set after her final take. And I'm like, Ooh, she seems to think this is like over, over now. It's might be over, over cause MJ's fucking dead, which will also be horrible. Um, but either way, I'm like, I think this is going to be really dark. I think it's going to be really sad. Regardless if Tom comes back or not, it's going to be like an ending of sorts. And my prediction right now is that they'll leave it open because I don't think Marvel feels overly confident about the success of, say, Future Eternals films, or even like Shang Chi. I, I just, I don't get the sense that the executives are like, we are poised in as strong of a position as we were pre Endgame, and I think they'll want to keep Spider Man as a possibility of bringing him back if things start to go south. To be like, look, 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 we still have Tom, so I think they'll want to keep him on a leash, which. You know, really interesting times because Tom Holland recently in an interview seemed to be kind of afraid that he's going to get typecast as Spider-Man. He said, if I'm still doing this when I'm 30, I have fucked up. I made a mistake. And, yeah, it's a weird position to be in if you're an actor, right? Because, like, that's a, a paycheck you can't say no to. But also, if you love acting and you got into this game for the love of the craft... Playing Spider-Man has to get old after a while, especially like, you know, he's trying to do other things. And I I don't know if audiences are ready to accept him as other things yet. So, I mean, he was talking about retiring from acting. He said he wanted to be a landlord. And people were like, what? And I love that, like, actors are so out of touch. He thought he was being, like, very egalitarian when he's like, yeah, I'll be a landlord and offer, like, discount rent rates. And people were like, you could just let people live in the building for free, Tom. Now, I'm sure if people presented that to him as a a possibility, maybe he, he would consider it. But this doesn't seem like a man who wants to play Spider-Man in, uh, let's say, eight more films. I don't know if he wants that. So interesting times. Guys, you know how it is with Marvel. I could go on and on and on at length. I won't, because that's um, appealing to very few people. (laughs) And I know who you are, and bless you. And I know you could talk MCU all day, but I won't do that to uh, the very fine people who support this show. I'm just like, I'm in a very frail, emotional position right now. And I'm like, if you motherfuckers make me watch MJ's which I know you're probably going to do because that's like, that's always what comic book stakes are, right? Like somebody's mom, somebody's girlfriend is about to get fucking fridged. So we know that the stakes are high. But um, yeah, it's I'm obviously going to see it opening night. Um, I'm also, I'll have for you next episode a House of Gucci uh, review. very curious. I'm very excited about that. I have heard insane things that have me very very excited because that's what I want from a Lady Gaga film I want to just come out being like what the fuck and it sounds like she delivered on that so um bless Gaga uh bless cinema guys on that note it's that time of the show here's your bad news what I didn't talk about in the pop culture section, I, I was like, I know there's something buffery that I wanted to talk about. I guess this could go in the bad news section because it has to do with an ungrateful little cat named Desmond. So here's the deal. I live in a New York City apartment, which means uh, there are radiators around my apartment that generate heat during the winter, okay? I don't want to blow anybody's mind, but that's how heating works in New York City apartments. They're built into the fucking wall and they spew hot air all day. Desmond loves this. Now we have a fucking agreement that one of his little vents is by a window. He sits on the windowsill, which is warm because of the heat. So it is a heated windowsill that he parks his ass on all day, out of his mind spoiled, right? Now there's a second heating vent where I have my little table for when I'm recording the podcast where I keep my coffee, keep my water jug. It's very convenient for me. Desmond decides that he's going to commandeer the table, park his ass right in front of the heater. He has another vent, but he decides, "Uh-uh-uh, I need this vent." He throws a fucking fit every time I have to move him off the table and I'm like, "You have a window Two feet away. You're so ungrateful. And I like, I'm like a lunatic. I like shout this at him every time where I'm like, there are cats living outside right now who have never lived in a heated apartment. You're so spoiled and ungrateful. And then he goes to sleep. Like, he doesn't care that I'm losing my mind, that he is ungrateful. But it bothers me. You know, it bothers me because he doesn't have a job. He's never contributed to rent once in his life. The least you can do is be grateful. Okay. So having said that, let's talk about something almost as important and almost as big of a danger to the country that we live in, the United States of America. Let's talk about white male terrorism. Okay. So... As we all know, I'm sure you are up to speed on this because again, and I can't say this enough, you should not listen to this show for breaking news coverage nor any kind of really in-depth political analysis. This is the show you come to when you're like, I want to think a little bit, but not too much. That's what Light, Treason News is for. That's why I put the name, the word light in the title. I didn't want you to think you were getting anything deep here, okay? So hopefully by now you know a jury found Kyle Rittenhouse not guilty of all charges and the shooting deaths of two men uh, and the wounding of another during a racial protest last year. We covered this story extensively on the show. I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, Rittenhouse, uh, who was 17 at the time, said he was in Kenosha during the protests after the police shooting of Jacob Blake to help protect property. And he says he shot the men in self-defense. Now, I have to emphasize this. He was driven by his mother. Uh, I believe it was his mother. But regardless, he he traveled from out of state. So he crossed state lines to go to a protest that um, he didn't have to be at. And he killed two people. And he was found not guilty of all charges. Now, here's the the, I won't say the central issue because, Immediately after the not guilty uh, news broke, people, it's its almost like you can set your watch to how Twitter is going to react, where there's always two clans, right? <laughs> Sorry to use a clan when I'm talking about uh, white supremacists. I'm not. It's fitting. So one side is always like... I can't believe this is happening. This is not my America. And then there's an immediate critique of that where people are like, this is America. This has always been America. We were founded on white supremacy. This is America. And then those two sides are shouting at each other forever. And that's Twitter. So if you're not on Twitter, congratulations. Um, You have missed nothing these past however many uh, years. So... But one of the issues that I th- I wanted to talk about with Kyle Rittenhouse is the idea of self-defense and being able to use self-defense in a trial like the Kenosha shooting, which is it puts jurors in this really impossible position. Now, this isn't me defending the jurors. I don't know the jurors. I don't know what their thought process was. Maybe, uh... A few of them, more than a few of them, are racist people who uh, just support Kyle Rittenhouse because he shot uh, two men uh, who happen to be white men who were at a protest, and um, they didn't like the fact that those two victims were there to support Jacob Blake. I don't know. I don't know what's in their hearts. But here's the impossible position that jurors are put in. They can't... Prove that it wasn't self defense because all you need to do in a self defense trial, and we see this time and time again with police shootings, right? Police just need to say, I was in fear for my life. A juror has to take them at their word because they can't prove that's not the case, which is why that kind of self defense argument is stupid <laughs> because it's like, well, Kyle Rindhouse can say, I was in fear for my life. And they just have to accept it because that's what he's saying. So it, it, that's the issue with a, a self-defense trial. It's like, well, we kind of know how this is going to go. But then, of course, the institutional racism kicks in. And it's like the, ten, the jury tends to believe that if a white man is saying that. If all of this was reversed, if Kyle House was black and he was taken over state lines to uh, go to a pro-police police protest or or some kind of event. And he shot two people there who are pro-police union, let's say. This would be a very different trial. So I want to be careful when talking about self-defense because self-defense, stand your ground, all that kind of stuff only really works if it is a white person <laughs> who has been, uh, you know, brought to trial because they killed somebody. But yeah, that is the issue with self-defense being used uh, during a trial. So I also wanted to talk about white male rage because Kyle Rittenhouse obviously is like the big, trendy topic right now. But also right now in Georgia, we have three white men who were accused of chasing and killing Ahmad Arbery, who was the 25-year-old black man last year while he was jogging. The men say they were trying to conduct a lawful citizen's arrest. Okay, dudes. And the man who shot Arbery says he acted in self-defense. Here we have another self-defense trial, right? How is this jury going to see evidence to disprove these men thought they were acting in self-defense? It's just impossible to prove. And they're, they're white defendants. So, You know, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but if it's if we're going to judge it based on these other self-defense trials, it's going to be bad. It's going to not be good. And then in Virginia, a civil trial is underway to determine if organizers of Unite the Right rally intended to incite racial violence. One person was killed, dozens injured uh, after white supremacists clashed with counter demonstrators. So here we have another trial where race is a theme, and at the center of each are white men who are accused of using unjustified violence, either against an unarmed black man or during racial protests. So CNN has a a good summary of these three cases uh, by John Blake I'll link to in the episode Recap. But it is very telling (laughs) that these three trials are currently underway in the United States. Rittenhouse's trial just ended, but the Arbury case is ongoing and the Unite the Right uh, civil trial is still ongoing. And lo and behold, white male rage is at the heart of each case and racism, which oftentimes the two go hand in hand. And again, like, we remember when that FBI report indicated that white terrorism, far right terrorism in this country is the biggest number 1 domestic threat and the right wing in this country lost its fucking mind saying that it was, you know, unfair, um unduly targeting them and here we are and it's like, "Oh, no, it turns out that was very accurate. It turns out that was very very correct." And that there is a lot of anger in this country. And a lot of that anger is coming from white men. And um, they don't like that the country's quote unquote changing. And they perceive that change to be um, minorities who are going to take their place. And they take out that anxiety on vulnerable members of our society who perhaps won't have a jury on their side when the eventual uh, trial unfolds. So that is the number one bad story. Now, I wanted to talk about sort of an extension of that, which is uh, Representative Paul Gosser. So if you haven't seen this story, um, Paul Gosser's a Republican from Arizona, and he was recently censured by the House of Representatives because he posted a violent cartoon video that depicted a character with his face killing New York representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which many pointed out is a death threat. So he was censured by the House of Representatives because it was so brazen (laughs) that not even the House of Representatives could be like, oh, come on. He's just shitposting. He didn't mean it. They were like, "Okay, damn. So we got to do something about this. Surprise, surprise, Trump is endorsing Paul Gosser one day after he's censured by the House of Representatives. Trump, in a statement, hailed Gosser as, quote, a loyal supporter of our American first agenda and highly respected in Arizona, and said he, quote, has my complete and total endorsement. So the statement made no mention of the House's uh, rebuke. Which, by the way, was its uh, fourth. They've only done this four times. This was the fourth time they've done it in nearly forty years. <laughs> That's how bad it was. They were like, "Okay, Paul." Um, and when they did this, it, it stripped Gosser of two committee assignments on the Natural Resources and the Oversight and Reform Panels. He lost his positions, so it was serious. It was it was bad. Um, so Gosser has said that the video has been mischaracterized it was not intended to be a threat which is weird because um when you're shown killing someone that's usually a threat so uh oh in addition to Ocasio-Cortez the video also depicted Gosser's character attacking Biden with swords you know classic comedy the the biggest hits so anybody who thinks that this is like outlier uh, rage, oh, no, 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 don't worry. It's also within the government. We also saw that in, uh, you know, the attack on the Capitol <laughs> that was assisted by uh, a few currently serving members of Congress who were giving information to the protesters. So it the call's coming from inside the House is what I'm trying to say. Um, so... Also, in a in, in similar news, Steve Bannon. <laughs> Is anybody else seeing the theme? Okay. So, Bannon recently uh, had to uh, turn himself in. He has been charged with criminal contempt of Congress. Um so he has retained the ex-president's former lawyer, David Schoen. Uh, who's maybe most famous for taking part in the defense in the second impeachment when seven members of Trump's own party voted to convict him. So Sheldon's out there making the rounds, offering Bannon's public defense. um, And the defense is this. He was just following orders. (laughs) I mean, does anybody read a history book? Like, I mean, they're not even trying to code, I guess, you know, make America great again. They're always pulling from the greatest hits of the Nazis. You know, like how did those guys get elected? Can we just use those slogans again? So now they're out there with the, the classic Nazi defense of, I was just following orders. just following the advice of his prior lawyer who told him to respect Trump's claims of executive privilege. But Sean's arguments are no better now than they were during Trump's impeachment trial. So firstly, the issue with this is Trump is no longer the president, and he doesn't get to invoke executive privilege to shield himself and his cronies from accountability. Um, and then second, there's no such thing as podcaster privilege. Uh, even if Trump could invoke the privilege, it wouldn't protect Bannon, um, He was a podcast host, not a White House advisor, on January 6th, Um, and that's when he was saying a bunch of the the inciting stuff that he is now in trouble for. So he was not protected at that time by any kind of privilege. You know, uh, as a podcaster, I can be taken to trial. I don't have any kind of executive privilege. Third, Bannon can't hide behind his lawyer anymore than he can hide behind Trump. Schoen claims that Bannon was merely acting on the advice of his lawyer who told him to honor Trump's privilege invocation. But the majority of federal courts hold that reliance on a lawyer's advice isn't a defense to criminal contempt. There's a limit, you know, like you can you can use that for so long. And then if you are, say, um, advising terrorists, that privilege uh, is no good anymore. Um, And then fourth... Even if good faith reliance on a lawyer's advice were a defense, it wouldn't help Bannon. A person who wants to invoke a legitimate privilege in good faith doesn't simply ignore a subpoena. Remember that? When Congress subpoenaed him and he was just like, la-di-da, I don't hear you. And everyone was like, oh, <laughs> what do we do now? You have to respond to it on time. And he didn't do that. So uh, that's no good. And then finally... With no facts or laws on his side, Showen has resorted to claiming that Congress and the Department of Justice are just being unfair <laughs> to his client. That's not going to work as a defense. You can't just say you're being mean to me. Um, they call us snowflakes, right? I don't know. Congress is being mean to Bannon and he's crying about it. So this all from uh, CNN. and. Uh, Norman Eisen, Joanna Lydigate, and Joshua Perry, with that breakdown of why of why Bannon's lawyer <laughs> it's like shit out of luck and it's not gonna work this kind of defense, but I wanted to make the connection with with bannon um with Gosser with these three trials we're seeing right now because. They all illustrate that the number one threat in the United States is white male rage. Um, Let's just say white rage. We don't have to say male. Um, But these all happen to be men. So, uh, uh, But, you know, white women, we we are complicit in a lot of this stuff. So I don't want to say that white women are off the hook. White women call 911 on people a lot. So uh, we also... uh, have a habit of wielding our privilege as a weapon. I don't know how to put a bow on this, and that's no good. Is that okay? Does that wrap it up in a satisfactory way for everyone? We're all fucked. No, that's negative. Although I'm allowed to be negative, I'm in the bad news section. On that note, everybody, that's enough of the band. Here's your good news. <laughs> so mad because one of the good news stories I had that was like a funny thing I saw turned out to not be real. So I had to find more good news, which let me tell you was no small feat. I for a second I was like, do I talk about that how the moon was amazing last night? And I was like, no, you can't be that woman. You can't be. I wrote a sketch about that once about your basic friend who always posts like a very blurry photo of the moon. (laughs) Like, doesn't really do the moon any justice and it's just sort of like I know you thought it was pretty but maybe we don't need six different blurry photos of the moon on your Instagram grid you posted on Maine you posted moon on Maine you're basic so I found an actual good news story that won't involve me being like y'all see the moon last night but really it was dope it was huge it was huge and it was uh it was very clear. You could see the craters. It was great. It was a good time. So sometimes you gotta go outside. You gotta you gotta get off your computer, you gotta leave your phone at home, you gotta go for a two and a half hour walk and look at the moon. You gotta do it. So, but this is actually good news. Uh that involves reporting from Liliana Segura, friend of the show, great reporter over at the Intercept. You should follow all of her work there. Um so there is a story at the Intercept about Davanya Inman, who has seen his conviction overturned after 23 years behind bars. Uh, prosecutorial misconduct and deficient lawyering deprived Inman of a fair trial a judge has ruled. Inman's case was the subject of the Intercept's, Intercept's Murderville, Georgia podcast, if you listen to that. Um, this is the uh, huge update to uh, that story. More than 20 years after Devania Inman was sentenced to life in prison for a murder he swears he did not commit, a judge in Georgia has overturned the conviction. Uh, so this is a quote from Lookout Mountain Chief Judge Christina Cook. Either of these constitutional violations standing alone demonstrates the fundamental unfairness of Mr. Inman's trial. Undermines the court's confidence in the outcome of that trial and related conviction and justifies granting relief. So the ruling sets up a choice for the state. They can either retry Inman for the 1998 murder of 43 year old Donna Brown or release him. And Tom Riley, one of Inman's attorneys, said, We are hopeful that the court's order will finally bring an end to this matter and that Mr. Inman will be reunited with his family as soon as possible. Now, there is always the possibility that the state chooses to retry him, but at least his attorney seems fairly confident that maybe they'll just release him. So as I said, Inman's case was the subject of Murderville, Georgia. Um the investigation revealed how shoddy police work by local enforcement, local law enforcement and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation not only led to a wrongful conviction, but also left the real murderer free to kill again which is a point that I feel like we always should stress in the wrongful conviction cases where it's like, yeah, not only did you punish an innocent person, but the person who actually did it was just like roaming around all these decades later. So Brown was a single mother and the night manager at a taco bell in Adell, a small town in South Georgia. She was shot in the face on September 19, 1998, while leaving work, the killer took a bank bag containing $1,700 that Brown was carrying along with her car, which was dumped in the nearby parking lot of an abandoned pizza hut. While the money was never found, a key piece of evidence was left in the car, a homemade mask made from a pair of gray sweatpants with eye holes cut out of it. Neither the mask nor any other physical evidence tied Inman to the crime. Multiple witnesses who initially implicated Inman recanted their statements at his 2001 trial. Nevertheless, he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. So in the meantime, three more brutal murders rocked Adel. Um, And Adel's small. It's a town of roughly 5,000 people. In April 2000, as Inman awaited trial, a man named Shailesh Patel was beaten to death at home. That crime has never been solved. Later the same year, a beloved shopkeeper, William Bennett, and his employee, Rebecca Browning, were bludgeoned to death in broad daylight inside Bennett's store. A man named uh, Hercules Brown was quickly arrested for the double murder and eventually pleaded guilty. Hercules, who worked at the Taco Bell, (laughs) has long been rumored to be Donna Brown's real killer. A decade after Inman was convicted of her murder, DNA lifted from the mask left in her car was matched to Hercules DNA evidence, baby. I know it's not perfect, but that's pretty damning yet. Neither Hercules has proven violence nor the DNA was enough to convince the courts that Inman's case merited a second look and the Georgia attorney general's office had fought tooth and nail to uphold Inman's conviction. So great news, great reporting at the intercept as per usual. Uh Yeah. Support uh, Liliana and support The Intercept. They're doing great work as always. And then finally, everybody, this is like a no shit news item, but also deeply comforting at this moment in time, I think. A survey released by ABC News slash Washington Post on Tuesday found that 60% of voters believe the Supreme Court should uphold Roe v. Wade. Uh, The landmark 1973 decision protecting abortion rights until viability compared to 27% who want to see the precedent overturned. So the pro-choice majority includes a number of demographics, men, women, and young adults, seniors, college graduates, non-college educated, whites and non-whites. Among Catholics, 62% believe Rose should be upheld despite what the church would have you believe. (laughs) So, uh, and also I should say, if you're, if you don't live in the United States, you might think 60% sounds pretty low, but if you poll Americans on anything and 60% agree on something, that's like an overwhelming majority (laughs) because we don't agree on a lot these days, but 60% of people believe the Supreme Court should uphold Roe v. Wade when conservatives are telling us time and time again that the majority is on their side, it's not true. It's a fucking lie. And even a lot of conservatives want to keep Roe v. Wade be either because like they're, uh, they believe that they or someone they know and love will need to exercise bodily autonomy one day. And they want to preserve that right and keep the decision between a woman or a person trying to get an abortion and their doctor or they directly have been affected by this. Like many, many conservative women get abortions or know someone who's got an abortion or, or takes their child to get an abortion. Like this is just a reality of life that we, we deal with on a daily basis. And 60% of voters are like, Hey, we want the Supreme Court to uphold Roe v. Wade. So I'm not saying, of course, this by any stretch of the imagination means Roe v. Wade is safe, because as we know, the Supreme Court skews conservative. So Roe v. Wade very, very much in danger. I am comforted by this because abortion's popular. Uh, Abortion has always been popular. Up until very, very recently, abortion was not even considered controversial in the United States, if you can possibly wrap your mind around that. There was a, a long history in this country where it was like, you know, not that people were like radical feminists supporting women's right to choose or people's right to choose the fate of their own bodies, but um, it was just like not a third rail issue, not something that was talked about. And then the religious right got a hold of it and was like, well, now we're at war. So it's important to remember that these problems are new. It hasn't always been this way. It's not inevitable. It's not infallible. And shit can change. Shit can change quick. Like I, I feel like we're seeing the the bad side of that now where things got terrible really quickly. But it's also really important to remember that things can get good again and can happen pretty fast. So just keep that in mind. Keep the hope. And yeah, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it. If you're double vaccinated and you got your little booster boost, your boosty boost, get out there and cause a little trouble.